I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of democracy. May the turbulence of our age yield to the true time of peace, when men and nations shall share a life that honors the dignity of each, the brotherhood of all. I see a world of open borders, open trade, and most importantly, open mind. Hello and welcome to To the Republic, a show dedicated to history, civics, and U.S. institutions. I am your host, Jake, and I'm joined by your other host. Hi, it's me, Jeff. It is Jeff. <laughs> so finally don't have to do one by myself again. So uh, Those are ha- good. happy to... No, they're not. They're good. I don't know. I got it. It's like... It's it's like that meme of, of podcast listening where you're like you're sitting there enjoying some but like the conversation even if it's by yourself I can respond to you. True, I mean if you're just lis- listening to it, but it's hard. It's it is hard. hard. It's it is hard, hard to uh, record by yourself. Yeah, because there's a lot of like you know humans when they communicate they get yeah. feedback and it's yeah. just just having even if it's a one person audience. Yeah, absolutely. And you're both together in the production. It's hard to do it by yourself. So yeah, you're not just speaking into the abyss. Yeah, hoping, so I mean, I do a lot of there. like, I wish somebody should like record me when I'm doing it by myself because oh. I get very animated okay. and like, I kind of like entertain myself in a way. So it's okay. a lot of jazz hands. Somebody should record you when you're by yourself. There's only one person who could do that. It's me. <laughs> you so should I definitely set up my own. <laughs> set up my own camera. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So well, anyway, I'm back. I'm here. Um, I'm done with school. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a new job. Uh, yeah. So I think that this is something I'm definitely interested in doing regularly again. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. Because uh, you know, we started the show together and I mean, it's our show. Yeah. So. And you're not speaking into the abyss. True. You have a face. We have faces <laughs> to look at. Yeah. Um, um, so much yeah. so that just before, I don't know if you have anything. Do you have anything else you need to get to? No. Quick? no oh, uh, I was just going to say, um, you were gracious enough. To kind of let me kind of choose the topic for today. I mean, gracious, I suppose. Well, I, mean, I mean, I just couldn't come up with a, with a topic, so you say. I don't even know if mine's that good, so we'll see. It kind of stems off some other things that you had talked about in your previous episodes. So um, some other things that I have, one, gone through recently, but two, have kind of been mulling over in my own um, thought exercises. Yeah, so I think what we're going to talk about this month and it kind of stems off from a, the conversation that I had with uh, Dr. Donna Sinclair about what is cl- critical race theory, what is education mm-hmm. in the United States more generally, and kind of what it is, where it came from, public education, that is. Right. Um, and I think we're going to, taking like an adjacent turn, mm-hmm. I think we're going to talk about the censorship, around, censorship of literature mm-hmm. uh, in American education. Yeah. Now, it's tricky to kind of talk about because there really is very little federal standards in terms of curriculum. So a lot of like the banned books Mm -hmm. are banned either at the state or local Mm -hmm. or even like individual library level. Right. So but there are lists of like the most banned books or challenged books Mm -hmm. um, that are challenged, you know, around school districts or states. Um, and there's a lot of com. There are a lot of commonalities in terms of what are the most challenged at at different levels. And right. Uh, so I thought we would, we would talk about that. We would get into some of the reasons uh, why there are challenge. You know, there are challenges or 
thought like this feeling like why people feel the need that books certain literature uh, or types of literature needs need to be uh need to be censored yeah um and i think we just have a kind of a general conversation about motivating like, motivating factors motivating factors yeah. yeah yeah and i think i think we'd fin- we'll finish up with you had a kind of a conversation topic about like reading mm-hmm. um how, what, what was that what was kind of just that? just uh, maybe an analysis of 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 why mm-hmm. and and kind of leaving us on a question or at least leaving us kind of doing a mental exercise between the two of us that that will kind of demonstrate our analysis of like looking at this thing as a whole and then kind of asking why's for for certain mm-hmm. aspects of the conversation for sure Alrighty. Well, before we get into it, um, just really quick to remind everybody to go to kxrw.fm. Uh, all of our backlog is there. All You can find the backlog for all of KXRW's other shows there. Um, there are some great ones out there, The Common Good, Filibusters, uh, Rogue Apostles. Uh, we have a, KXRW has a very nice eclectic uh, assortment of other types of shows a lot of local politics this show kind of gets into more macro themes i think so if you're something who someone who likes knowing the goings-on or the the issues that are surrounding our our local community uh filibusters and the common good voices from our community gives you a really good look at those yeah and just remember you know if you like what we're doing remember to donate there's a donate button right there at kxrw anything you can do helps keep us on the air you know i am a true firm believer in that the of the mission and the good that kxrw does in our local community and gives our community a voice so if you like if you like it please consider donating so with that uh, I think we'll just delve right into our topic. Wait. What's up? As this week's guest, mm-hmm. can I trumpet something? Yes, go for it. Uh, if you're interested, uh, Jake and I have a weekly podcast called See What You Mean ah, Podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's How on, could I forget that? Yeah. Oh, I just figured I'm here. So um, <laughs> if, if you're enjoying kind of what we do on this episode, you know, there's it's much looser, much... Um, uh, lo- looser, and I mean like with language sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and and content. But we talk about sports, politics, history. It's not it's not so macro and, and specified to the U.S. institutions mm-hmm. um, and, and stuff like that. But we do get into politics, and definitely. it's every week, and it's fun. Um, so if you're interested, check it out. Yeah, All right. definitely. All right. So um, we, I think, we always try to start with uh, definitions yeah. um, in history. So yes. I think that's where we'll start. Now you have. I think we need to define what is censorship. So I yeah. think you had that definition. So book banning or a for, uh, form of censorship occurs when private individuals, government officials, or organizations remove books from libraries, school reading lists, or bookstore shelves because they object to their content, ideas, and themes. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's interesting to me because like for me, I think anytime we bring up we think of book bans i think our minds go to the extreme of like book burning absolutely and so when i was starting with my and and i'm guilty of that too when i Ooh, started i wonder where you're going when with I, this. I i think you know yeah when i started with this uh with this when you texted me yesterday about this topic yeah and i was like all right well where am i going to start with my yeah. research so immediately i go to nazi germany okay right so i, I intentionally mean, was like let me find anything that is not nazi germany <laughs> and still found a way to yeah, get me there of so course. Um, I mean, there's a lot of lessons to learn in history. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so I think that book burning is just 
the final is just a is a reaction to the actual censorship. Yes, and I think that's what is important to focus on. Right, um, book burning is a is a like I said, it's an it's an extreme reaction, mm-hmm. but getting people on board to be okay with censorship, mm-hmm. I think, is something that is concerning, and oh, it's something that is that's a, a great that's point. existed in all societies. Yeah, and it seems to be continual especially in the 20th century and beyond right. as America is faced with certain social, economic mm-hmm. and cultural tensions, there seems to be a reaction from one side or another to be like, we need to control the narrative mm-hmm. and we can do that. There's like, it's almost, it's almost based out of fear. Absolutely. I think okay. is that we need to have this reaction to, we need, we need to stop people reading it because if we stop them reading it, they'll stop believing it. Or, or a symbolic gesture, g- gesture as book burning um, to demonstrate kind of the anti-whatever. Mm-hmm. The anti-book, the mm-hmm. anti-personnel, the sure. anti-religion, morality, mm-hmm. politics, yeah. which are kind of the three things that I saw in, in looking re- uh, researching this was religion, morality, and politics were kind of the three that were argued, con- argued consistently of, mm-hmm. of why. Um, before you get to your... Any Nazi stuff. I did have some examples that I wanted to discuss real quick. One of the earliest documented examples of literary censorship in North America is the burning of Aztec and Mayan manuscripts in the 1560s by Catholic priests and conquistadors. As, as part of the uh, Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, there's the symbol or the gesture of burning, right? Mm-hmm. But what is the intent? What is the objective there? Mm -hmm. Um, In Tudor England, during the schism between the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church, uh, depending on which monarch was in power and which religion they followed, your choice of religious book could get you killed. Mm -hmm. So we are talking specifically the United States, and I have examples from the United States as well. But I just – this is – with even with your Nazi example, Mm -hmm. global. Yeah. And and in my research, I I was I didn't want to dive down this rabbit hole, but there seems to be quite a bit of literary censorship in Australia, mm-hmm. and there's like books about it that I, I I'm now interested in reading and getting further into. That but. is interesting. Did you come across? Was it mostly about the Aboriginal cultures? Um, I didn't dive too okay. far. I saw a book and I was like, oh, that sounds great. Read the in, like the mm-hmm. the abstract, and I was like. I'm gonna bookmark that one. Sure. Like, have to come back because I need to focus here. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I. It seemed interesting. As yes, it is. It absolutely question, is. So. But the, the the point here is that it's 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 not. It's it's a long, it's a long practice, mm-hmm. banning books Definitely. and book burning and um, uh, censoring literature mm-hmm. for sure. And I I don't need to get into any any specific examples. If you're interested in. Um, Nazi book burning. <laughs> it's there. It's there, out there. There's a lot of information yeah. out there. There's YouTube videos galore on it. But mm-hmm. there's uh, there's one that's put out specifically by the National Holocaust Museum. Oh, okay. That documents kind of the beginning through to through the oh, end. Wow. And, uh, specifically focused on the control of literature, mm-hmm. uh, the control of narratives by the Nazi government. But the one thing I did find interesting is that a lot of times when we think about censorship as originating from the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government coming in and saying, "Okay, well, these books are need to go away. Right? You can't. We can't. You're not going to sell these books. These books can't be taught to children. Yeah. Um, we have to remove them. We have to remove access to them. We usually think that there's like power associated with that. Okay. But what actually what started with Nazi Germany was actually more of a grassroots movement where the students themselves 
who were indoctrinated by Nazi propaganda, mm-hmm. telling them that originally the Na- the Nazi Party and the um, the, and the Nazi government didn't have necessarily book bans. Right. They had books that were un-German, and the, the university students themselves removed those books Interesting. And, and began burning them. Wow. So that's And then eventually it was mandated by the, by the, by the government. Right. But it started and originated mm. by... A small, um, a small, quote, small group. Yeah, by trying to control a narrative. Yeah. Um, and trying to say... Try, the germificate, germanification yeah. of culture yes and wanting to protect culture and i think that there is a lot when you read about the reason like the window dressing around the types of books in the united states that are being challenged mm-hmm. um throughout the 20th century and especially now you see a lot of the re- like reading between the lines of of the reasoning you start to get this we have to protect xyz yes and it's morals value like our our morals, our values, the American way of life, and then these books somehow threaten our way of life if children are consuming them. Right. I think that is the motive. That's the motivation, and it's it's very much in root with of national like of nationalism. Right. Um, I want to touch on one thing that you you've said there is um, <clears throat> you're you're using the words challenge and banning. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just clarify on that yeah. definitions. Definitely. That's what we do. Yeah. American Library Association says that a challenge is an attempt to remove or restrict materials based on, upon the objections of a person or group. A banning is the removal of those materials. Interesting. Okay. Good so to know. Yeah. That, thank you for yeah. for um, clarifying that. So there are absolutely. I mean, I would say that burning books is definitely a form of banning, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but so. Um, I'm just thinking about just this this idea or this notion to challenge books, mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of what we're seeing, and that's kind of what's we're seeing it here in the United States. We're seeing it in different states, but that's kind of what kind of prompted me was these sure. challenges in Definitely. these spaces. Um, one other consideration that I wanted to bring up was yeah. this um, during these you know historically looking at challenges and looking at bans you had there were actual court cases and cases brought to um, different levels of courts to challenge the sale or the space in which an author's or publisher's book was allowed. Interesting. Um, so there's there's some pretty like famous U.S. cases. You can look them up if you want to. Um, but I do have one here that's in 1973, Miller versus California. I wanted to I wanted to bring this up because in the in the in in the world of law and in this challenge of having your book be allowed in a space or not. Um, especially with banning, we're looking at who is defining the books as either obscene or as inappropriate or pornographic. Okay. Um, we have the classic definition of being pornographic through the courts being, uh, I know it when I see it, right? Mm-hmm. So I found it interesting um, when in 1973 the courts defied obscenity um, when uh, when looking at whether or not a book was obscene or not. It was previously utterly without social redeeming value. That's an interesting definition. So broad. Yeah. That is, and 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 to whose to whose terms to mm-hmm. whose parameters? It's is almost that? like the court was like, we don't really feel like we should be ruling on this, but we right. kind of have to. Right. Well, and ultimately, this is all. It all kind of boils down to 
freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. And that's that's I think why they're you you see kind of this acceptance of these cases yeah. in, cer- in certain mm-hmm. instances. Um, but anyways, that obscenity definition was then changed to that which lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Interesting. Okay. And I can't help uh, – this might be controversial in itself, but I, I can't help but things of, think about things like the Anarchist Cookbook. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, a book that is instructive on like how to make kind of dangerous things. Yeah. So that I think would fit in uh, the definition of being obscene, especially in like a um, an elementary school library. Either way, I just thought it was interesting that there was a clear definition there by the courts to then define, OK, we need to at least come up with something that quantifies whether or not this book should or should not be allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, I think looking historically you have some examples of we have some examples of some classic books that were either banned or challenged most of them honestly were banned and and i think that a lot of us know of these books mm-hmm. um going through you know this all started with a friend of ours posting about like oh here's a here's books that have been banned and they're such classics and i started looking at my own shelf and seeing a lot of these books that I own that were banned, um, but were there any specifically that you wanted to bring up? What you're referring to is uh, Fahrenheit 451 in that meme that we were talking oh, okay. about. It's like okay. the most banned books, and it's all of this classic literature. Yeah. And it's funny because what's ironic about that meme was like Fahrenheit 451, which is about book burning, mm-hmm. is one of the most banned books. Right. So it, it's it was kind of a, a jest at um, the f- people feeling the need to control literature. And they're controlling a literature about banning and burning books. Right. Anyway, I, I know you had some. Yeah, I have uh, one some that early, I've, early examples, I've ha- well, especially I have, Orwell. I, uh, I see a lot of Orwell on this list. And what I found with Orwell is his books were banned because of who he was, mm-hmm. not for the actual literature or potential lessons in the literature. Yeah. Which is infuriating, only because like if we're looking solely at the content of the literature. Mm-hmm. Let's ban it or challenge it on based on that, not the individual who's writing it. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought you would find interesting was uh, Lord of the Flies. Okay. So I was uh, in one of... Let me find it right here. Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Um, do you know what that book is about? Oh, yeah. I read it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So challenged <clears throat> uh, by a high school in uh, South Dakota in 1981. They chal- uh, and challenged in North Carolina in 1981 as well because the book was demoralizing in as much as it implies that man is no more than an animal. Mm. Okay. So we, we're not going to get down that rabbit hole about whether or not society or Leviathan controls how we behave. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> You're going to keep me from talking about Thomas Hobbes. But in 1981, that's what we have school districts looking at as reasons to limit uh, uh, access to a book or challenge a book. Interesting. Okay. Um, Uncle Tom's Cabin by abolition, abolitionist Harriet Beecher Stowe, published in 1851 to 1852, was nationally banned. Uh, banned. Southern states banned its sales, stating that it stoked the flames of abolition. Mm. And in 1851, there were people in this country who did not appreciate or value that. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, but again, we're seeing these kind of political and even, um, if you will, moral kind of protests to why, why or challenges to why mm-hmm. these books should or should not be available. For sure. 
All right. So now that we've had some of those earliest examples, I'm gonna uh, we're, when we get on the other side of the break, I think we'll we'll pick up this kind of discussion and kind of paint the picture of the types of books uh, or the, that are getting banned. Um, or challenged at the state and local level. Uh, some more recent, uh, some more recent lists from 2020 and 2019. We'll get into. So when we come back. That's what we'll talk about. You've been listening to the Republic. I'm Jake, and I'm Jeff. We'll be right back. KXRW would like to thank Craft Cannabis, our exclusive cannabis sponsor, for supporting our radio community. Craft Cannabis for 21 and over now has two locations in Vancouver. The newest shop is on Andreessen Road off Patton Parkway, next to Home Depot. At this location, they offer Top Shelf Tuesday, Waxy Wednesday, and Sony Sunday specials. The Mill Plain location is in the Heights Shopping Center with Munchy Monday and Saturday specials. Ordering options include online, in-person, curbside, and express window touchless pickups to better serve you. Hours and more information available at craftcannabis.com. A big thank you to Vancouver's own Kiggins Theatre for supporting our radio community. Our historic Kiggins Theater has a long tradition of showing movies for our community, 85 years. Kiggins currently features first-run big studio and arthouse films along with classic movie revival. Check out their live events, and you can even book the theater for a private party or public event. Go to KigginsTheater.com to see how you can rediscover the joy of going out for movie night again. Showtimes, booking information, and more at KigginsTheater.com. Welcome back to To The Republic. I'm Jake. And I'm Jeff. In our last segment, we talked about, well, we started with the topic of curriculum censorship and the banning or challenging of certain pieces of literature, either fiction or nonfiction, mostly fiction. The, and we continued that topic into talking about the controlling of narratives and use, attacking books that undermine the, the established norms, established values of the culture at the time. And I think a lot of books that, are, that push against those norms are constantly uh, vilified. Uh, we, you talked about Uncle Tom's Cabin before the U.S. Civil War mm-hmm. it, because of the, the fears that it would stoke abolitionism. George Orwell um, kind of pushing a, uh, his, some of his, uh, his, his literature, Animal Farm, um, ni- uh, 1984, 1984, are some of the most uh, challenged books. Even today, they're mm-hmm. getting challenged oh, yeah. uh, in libraries and in uh, in local school districts. Um, and what was and I think as we get into this this new segment and going forward, I w- I really do want to talk about what is about narrative building because that has been the core of of education in this country, mm-hmm. especially go, leading into the 20th century and into modern day. And what was the what were the reasons behind that, and how that might explain challenges to more modern. Uh, literature to more modern literature and more concerning what is being proposed to replace these books that are being removed uh, from curriculums uh, around the country. So, um, and as we discussed in the, in the first segment is that it's hard in the United States because they're the constitution and precedent in the United States has pretty much left education up to the States. There's very few federal standards, especially as it, as it relates to social studies um, in history. So, um, a lot of times states and even mostly school districts or even individual teachers are left up to their own devices mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to teach history as they see fit, mm-hmm. which has led to a lot, of, a lot of tension. Yeah, I think we're seeing the tensions over critical race theory has been a political flashpoint right. uh, in state and local elections all over the place. We know someone who was on a, was on a school board in uh, in a local in a local city and having to deal with these challenges in 
angry parents. Uh, so the, this this worry about how curriculum and narratives affect children is something that I think is continued and used as a uses. I think we we must think about the children is a is a win, <laughs> is a window dressing for something for something bigger and a motivation yeah. that's bigger that we'll get into. Right. So uh, I kind of I, I think I'll just introduce this particular segment with just getting into just reading off some of the um, some of the the titles and the reasoning for the given reason for the challenge or the ban of that particular book and see if we can find any recent common ones? threads. Yeah, recent okay, ones. Awesome. So this is the this is the 2020 list from the American Library Association Got of most it. banned or challenged books. The num- number one is George by Alex Gino. Mm-hmm. The reason given was that it uh, it had heavy LGBTQIA plus mm-hmm. content. Right. Which is conf- which was stated as being conflicting with a religious viewpoint and not reflecting the values of our community. Right. Number two, Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism in You by Ibrahim X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds. It was banned and challenged because of author's public statements and because of claims that the book contains selective storytelling incidences and does not encompass racism against all people. Okay. Those are, I mean, I, I feel like uh, that's something else that you brought up is mm-hmm. that people were banning Orwell not because necessarily what was the content of his mm-hmm. books, but because of Orwell himself as mm-hmm. like a, he was seen by some as a provocateur. Right. Um, and I think that uh, Kendi kind of gets labeled like today in the Mm. same way where people just don't read his works and just judge his works based on their perception of the author right which is really problematic when you're talking about controlling of narratives and and censorship Mm -hmm. all number three all american boys by jason reynolds um and brandon uh brandon kiley Mm -hmm. uh banned and challenged for profanity profanity drug use and alcoholism and because it was thought to promote anti-police views and contains divisive topics and be too much of a sensitive matter right now. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, speak by Lori Halls Anderson. Um, it was, it's been restricted because it was thought to contain political viewpoints and it was claimed to be based against male students in the novel's inclusion of rape and profanity. Uh, the Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi, mm-hmm. banned and challenged for profanity, sexual preferences, and allegations of sexual misconduct by the author. Uh, Something Happened to Be uh, in Our Town, a child story about racial injustice by Marianne Solano and Marriott Collins. Uh, reasons challenged for divisive language because it was thought to promote anti-police views. Number seven, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, banned and challenged for racial slurs and negative effects on students, mm-hmm. featuring a white savior character and its perception of black experience. Right. Number eight, Of Mice and Men, um, for racial slurs and racial stereotypes, promoting those. Uh, the Bluest Eyes, banned and challenged because it con- uh, considered sexual expli- sexually explicit and depicts child sex abuse. And The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, challenged for profanity, and it was thought to promote an anti-police message. I'm seeing a continued theme here, or recurring theme of people of color as mm-hmm. authors Yes, for these books. Mm-hmm. Which is frustrating. I, I just with the gatekeeping of publishers, of accessibility, of everything else that kind of narrows and funnels an author's opportunity to be published and write a book and have it be mass produced on a scale like this. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's disheartening to then see a continued um, challenge towards an author's attempt to have their voice or have their 
their experience mm-hmm. through literature than also further limited. Yeah. I think that, so for me, going back and thinking like as a child, as a student in the public education system of Washington, yeah. um, I read like a lot of, I've, I've read a lot of, I read Lord of the Flies, mm-hmm. uh, also present on the list of older books that have been challenged. Great Gatsby, right. um, To Kill a Mockingbird was on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read, like I've read all of those. I read all of those books. So it's interesting to me that there, that there's places in this country where those books are not being read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering about what is the effects that that has on on all children in the school, but specifically bringing up the point that you make is that when you're limiting and gatekeeping the types of literature that's being put out, you're further limiting the education of, uh, of the people that those books more, like more greatly reflect or, uh, yeah, pe- or people, identify with yeah, people yeah. of color, people of, of the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm-hmm. When they see people, when they read stories about people that they identify, like they identify with or Absolutely. represent them better than just your run of the mill, you know, textbook. They're going to they're going to be more apt to Let me just one thing I was thinking about real quick here, Jake, was that when you when you see yourself represented in in literature, in film, no matter what the medium is, um, that's encouraging as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you are, regardless of what community you come from, if you see representation of you in that medium, if the goal here is to encourage reading and to encourage exploration in literature and uh, deconstruction and analysis through reading, mm-hmm. it I would imagine, and I know that it's far easier when I see someone or something or a character that I can identify with than to to then encourage me to read more. And if that's the goal here, I, I that is even more problematic to limit representation in these books. Mm-hmm. I think that's an that's an excellent. That's that's an excellent point. Right. Um, and as a, as a white male, uh, there has never been a shortage of literature that represents me. <laughs> right. So it, it's something that. But it's also I'm sorry to interrupt again. Yeah, sorry. No, you're but totally you're fine. also hearing other people's experiences, mm-hmm. regardless of yeah. of how on who you are. Hearing if you if you want to hear stories that um, promote empathy or sympathy, regardless of what the emotional response is, you uh, that you know. Um, Black books aren't written for black kids, right? Yeah. Anybody can read them. But what that does, regardless of who you are, it exposes you to, as I've always said, and I always say, it's broadening your circle mm-hmm. um, of understanding, but also, um, you know, and it's in some way interacting and engaging with culture other than yours. Mm-hmm. That's very true. I mean, they're human stories, and yes. we're all human. Absolutely. Um, and we all benefit when we are exposed to stories that aren't ours. And that, that that's important. I think that's something that higher education, uh, when you get outside of the, the confines of uh, of what's mandated at the state and local level, and you can get into uh, get into college, that's one of the the advantages that's unfortunately not re- reflected all the time in primary education mm-hmm. is that it's is the that for more freedom to to explore and i wish that's i i hope that going forward that that's something that we can begin to more challenge and replicate at the at the primary level but i think that's one of the most um like when you when i my next step in uh this kind of leads me into my into the next part of this segment yeah. is that I think we have to talk a little bit about critical race theory. Okay. It's being used as a as a buzzword. Yes. To limit curriculum. Yes. And Absolutely. So 
critical race theory, as we talked about in the not curriculum books, books to challenge books, challenge books, yes. yeah. Um, and if something is seen as promoting critical race yes. theory, then it is, then it gets mm-hmm. put on banned book, banned yeah, list books. Banned you list, see yeah. this in in Texas, you see this in Florida, yep. uh, in other um, more conservative states. Yes, the like I wouldn't looked at the list in Washington, and it's it's tiny compared to some of the other states' right, lists. Right. So it's it's interesting how different states go about this. Yeah. So I think critical like critical race theory is that some of the opponents to it, at least the more rational the more rational ones, mm-hmm. is saying that it's teaching our children to look at each other through the lens of color. It's actually they're arguing that critical race theory is actually promoting racism. Mm-hmm. Which I think what we're just talking about is how seeing people who are from your community represented in literature mm-hmm. helps or in and people from outside your community represented in literature helps mm-hmm. you grow as an individual limiting that exposure mm-hmm. and not talking about race because we don't live in a colorblind society right race ex- like race exists yes absolutely so not talking not yeah. talking about race as a construct mm-hmm. And not talking about the inequality that has stemmed from that yes. and the history from yes. that is not going to solve anything. Right. It's like trying to say like, well, we don't want to talk about any of that because it's divisive. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like it's any, we can't move forward as a nation. We can't become better as a nation by not talking about that. And then on top of that, it gets thrown onto, well, it's not, it's teaching people to hate our country. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's the exact opposite. And, and these are kind of the concepts and ideas of critical race theory you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. Right. So yeah. The, the concepts of critical race theory are being, are, are being labeled as anti-American. Right. It's, tr- it's making, you, you saw the, 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 the former president consistently talking about critical race theory mm-hmm. and other governors as being, it's anti-American. It's teaching kids to hate mm-hmm. Our country, but from my understanding of reading Thomas Paine and some of the original Patriots, the people that those politicians would hold up as the founding, because the the whole idea behind Trump's 1776 project was to talk about found, the founding of the country and the principles behind the founding of this country. Mm-hmm. So I went and dug into the original the the original writings of some of those guys. One being Thomas Paine and his in his writings of Common Sense mm-hmm. and how he talks about patriotism is like when it is your civic duty to right wrongs mm-hmm. within your within your country right when your country isn't holding up its promises resting on its laurels and saying we're great because we're great yeah. instead of being great for reasons x y and z you're not being patriotic you're being nationalistic mm. and actually promoting patriotism is challenging those issues within our country that need to be fixed because we haven't even lived up to the promises in the end of the declaration of independence, mm-hmm. let alone promises that we were, we're making today. Right. And it's very fundamentalist view of education, trying to protect and hold clutching our pearls and mm-hmm. trying to hold on to this mythology of our past. Right. Isn't, making us better mm-hmm. as a country. And I, I think it's anti-patriotic to not question. Oh, to not question issues of issues of like absolutely issues around yeah. race and yeah. gender inequality and just in, in class inequality. Right. So that's been, that's kind of my rant. Right. For sure. But one thing that I was thinking that whole time is, you know, these, the, the early writers and the, the founders of the nation, they weren't thinking about such issues you know, they weren't thinking about these issues at all, right? Because they weren't issues. But that is that is a point of this, is mm-hmm. that 
we as societies evolve, as cultures evolve and change. And the United States is so different in the experiment of being the United States that we aren't just a standard block of culture and identity. Um, and, and as those things change, so do what we view as right and wrong. Definitely. And with that, I did want to mention that there is a collection development policy in most libraries. Okay. Which is the purpose of the uh, collection development policy is to create a collection of library materials that supports the library's mission. So identifying whether it's your school or your library, whatever it might, whatever the institution might be, there's mm-hmm. an overall mission statement. Um, and generally, from what my experience, those mission statements are very inclusive mm-hmm. and goal-minded yeah. so as these collections are built in libraries it is through that lens or through the parameters of a development policy mm. so i just you know these books aren't just arbitrarily brought in by librarians to uh to to meet a, a librarian's objective of the readers in the community mm-hmm. right they, they, this there's an understanding that they there is a policy and a development policy to construct and collect these yeah. works of literature. To, like, to build off of that, I, I listened um, to several uh, podcasts and interviews of, with school administrators who have been on the front lines of many of these battles over, quote, critical race theory, okay. because what is being labeled as critical race theory a lot of times isn't yes. critical race theory. It's teachings of equity, yeah. um, which is not criti- necessarily critical race theory in and of itself. Right. So it's such a, it's it's hard, right? Because you're the parent of a child who is in middle school. Yes. So there's going to be times where like, you know, curriculum in these conversations are something that it, you're going to be dealing with and yeah. probably are dealing Absolutely. with. Absolutely. And... So it's like, what role do the parents have? But mm-hmm. what these administrators, I mean, so I don't want to completely discount and say the parents have no say in the stuff that their kids are being taught. Right. So the administrators, so I mean, so I, I was kind of trying to weigh what the kind of the consensus of what I've heard from these administrators. Mm-hmm. But what, essentially what the, the administrators were saying is that of they're hearing of instances on a pretty large scale of students being exposed to racial bigotry, mm-hmm. racial stereotypes, racism in general. Yeah. And the, it's the administrator's job to take the concerns of the children that they're teaching and yeah. they're correct. They're making sure is a safe environment and yeah. a sa- environment where they can learn. And if they're living a reality that is unequitable, mm-hmm. it's their job to try to fix that through education, mm-hmm. being that it's an education institution. Yeah. So that's an excellent so, point. So in so bringing in curriculum that can literature f- that can literature that can fix or that can help promote expose I, I guess expose and fix yeah. the 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 structural issues yeah. behind the experiences of their students. I feel like that's a pretty important thing, right? And that's their job to do that, not right. ignore it because of the anger of the outside parents right. and their own goals or, or interpretations. What interpretations yeah and so it's listening to the kids first which i found refreshing to hear from some administrators right. but i just thought that was an i mean i just thought that kind of helped strengthen the point that you were talking right. about 
All right. So I think with that, that was kind of a long-winded discussion. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, uh, I think we'll just continue this discussion. So you've been listening to To the Republic. I am Jake. And I'm Jeff. We'll be right back. Court-appointed special advocates for children, known as CASA, are volunteers who advocate for the best interest of children who have come into the care of the state as a result of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. You can lend your voice and volunteer with CASA to change a child's story. CASA offers virtual info sessions and training. If interested, now is the time to get involved with CASA and make a lasting difference in the lives of children and families in the foster care system. Clark County CASA is a program of the YWCA Clark County. More information available at casaclarkcounty.org. Community Radio Like This is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics. Clark County's local print shop since 1993, ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at adco1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. Welcome back to To the Republic. I'm Jake. And I'm Jeff. In our last segment, we talked about um, nationalism, patriotism, uh, kind of constructing a the national narrative. Um, there was something that I was I meant to bring up in the last segment that I quickly that I forgot, so I just yeah. want to quickly say it. In that the originally in during the 19th century, so the 1800s, with very little federal oversight over over uh, uh, curriculum and education mm-hmm. uh, at the federal level. School was taught and was allowed to be taught in whatever language was present in the community. So there mm-hmm. were um, areas that were school was taught in German areas in like in the Southwest that were taught bilingually with Spanish and, uh, and English, mm-hmm. um, uh, French in Louisiana. As this issue and worry about Americanization and bringing about national unity right. as more immigrants became, became came to the U.S. to settle here the federal government became more and more worried about unification and that's when public education at the federal level began to really wanting to construct narratives and narratives that were specifically telling good stories about the uh, about the american experience and almost creating like a mythology around uh, our founders and leaving out the bad stuff and only promoting the good and that continued and it has continued since throughout the entire 20th century into the 21st century, we were dealing with, like, education was about constructing a positive view of, like, a positive-only view of the United States. Right. Because they were worried about Americanization and national unity. Mm -hmm. So creating that national myth left out a lot of these issues that are being brought up now. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. so I think that that's something to, to consider as as you think about education, the history of education in the United States in that uh, it's not necessarily destroying the American story by bringing up issues of slavery and race. By filling the gaps. You're filling the gaps and making other people who have been left out of the national narrative, putting their stories into our national narrative. Mm -hmm. My opinion, I I look at that and see that as strengthening America. America. I agree. uh, With that, I think we'll we'll jump now into... uh, into our next segment, which you had some things well, you want to talk well, about. I just wanted to kind of tra- transition into, we've kind of broadly, generally been t- touching and t- uh, touching and talking about, you know, why these books are being challenged. Mm-hmm. And we can only infer what the intent is of those politicians 
who are doing so. Mm-hmm. What is their reasoning? What is their motive? Whether that's to gain votes, to gain whatever. Yeah. You know, but what we are looking at are the same consistent excuses more recently mm-hmm. and it's 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 hard not to look at those and question them mm-hmm. um uh and and question what their intent is yeah um but with that said i was also thinking i, I you talked earlier about the responsibility of the administrators mm-hmm. um and i was also thinking about the responsibility of the students and i was also thinking about the responsibility of the parents and i was also thinking about the responsibility of the teachers right and in this journey um through finding literature and um, identifying what maybe more students need Mm -hmm. um, to to be exposed to in a school and then incorporating those books into um, their academics or to put them in the library for access, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever the reasons or or situation might be. I I just I'm really I really think it's important to to identify the fact that we are not um, like cookie cut human beings. We are not. Um, all the same, just standardized students. And with that said, there might be a student in fifth grade who is further along maybe or identified more as more mature or at a higher reading level mm-hmm. or whatever the – however you want to quantify it. It sure. might be different between all every, every student in the school. Yeah. And when a student comes to a teacher or a librarian or to a parent, understanding that all of these kids are different and that maybe one book might not be appropriate for um, another fifth grader in that book, mm-hmm. regardless of what the what, – what, regardless of what the subject matter is, identifying the differences there in students – um, and that's I think that's a responsibility that kind of falls on 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 everybody in this yeah. in this story of book challenging. Yeah, which I think that it that raises the question of issues of having fed having too much federal government in education mm-hmm. because teaching happens between the teacher and the student. It's a relationship. It's a relationship, right. and the teacher has I think teachers need the flexibility. Mm-hmm. to be able to make sure that each and ed- every individual kid, because as you said, they're not cookie cutters. Every kid is going to learn differently, yeah, which absolutely. is why um, certain schools are, and certain teachers, the, the really good ones are allowing for tests to be like, to be, to be taken different. We're quantifying, right. te- we're quantifying and measuring uh, learning outcomes differently yeah. to try to fit a more broad spectrum of students. Absolutely, um, and so that's all. That's all stuff that comes with the professionalization of teachers mm-hmm. um, and allowing those professionals to be just that yeah. professionals, yeah. knowing what is best for each and end of every individual kid. And unfortunately, um, in, I'm not saying that parents don't have a role Absolutely. in that at all. Right, right. They very much do. But that 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 what you're saying there mm-hmm. is the reason why a relationship between the teacher and, and parent should mm-hmm. be encouraged as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. Because they're the professional who engages with your child every day, have a relationship with them, an open mm-hmm. dialogue. Definitely. Um, so I mean, so it gets. So I don't want to discredit completely when parents say hey there are certain things that i am worried about my kid learning absolutely that's I've been very there. that is very much yeah. a, a a valid question <laughs> yes and one that the teacher should be prepared to to answer for yes um but this very black and white view of mm-hmm. it and trying to restrict curriculum away from complete ideas yeah narrowing everything to protect certain values yeah. to protect certain morals is damaging mm-hmm. in the long run. Yeah. 
Um, one quick thing I wanted to point out, as I tend to do, um, is an element of hypocrisy here. So I just want to I just want to note real quick that there are other issues that we are seeing. In this era that we're living in, in 2021, as we come to the end of 2021, there's been some contra- other contra- controversies in schools. Um, and, and in these controversies, I'm seeing these um, these kind of uh, bumper sticker statements of, like, I don't co-parent with the government. Um, mm, but, I see that a lot. Yeah, but that is exactly what education is. Um, and, 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 and identifying elected officials in the school boards and, um, you know, working on the state and local levels to have curriculum like mm-hmm. all of that is is literally what you're doing so to have those bumper sticker statements for some issues but not other i just i think there's a little bit of hypocrisy there mm-hmm. um but my biggest my biggest kind of end for for what i have here um today is like what is the purpose of reading and and i kind of mentioned this earlier as far as like being able to identify yourself or or not and being able to learn something from a book is that the purpose mm. is the purpose just to learn how to read so that you know how to follow instructions when you're an adult i, I you know th- it's just in this mental exercise if that's the case I know, I, yeah I, I get what you're saying and if I, that's the okay. case then then why aren't we reading uh, instruction manuals and just dictionaries to learn the words mm-hmm. like what is the point here um I get that there are some concerning books for for parents, right? Regardless, and that that might be that those concerns might be founded on a billion things that you identify or or relate with, whether mm-hmm. religion, culture, whatever it might be, yeah. and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But that's what we're talking about as far as having a relation and open relationship. But what is the point in reading when you're reading Animal Farm? Like there are lessons there, and I bring that book up because that's our favorite. That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the point? Is, is or do we just not read any fiction anymore? And then don't even get me down the rabbit hole of problems with nonfiction <laughs> and 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 textbooks, right? Yeah. So I, I just I don't know. What do you think? I, I, obviously, you know that the purpose of reading is not simply to follow instructions, but um, in this context, what mm-hmm. do you think? You know, is because that's my challenge to them. Anybody trying to ban books that are by people of color or that that demonstrate a lifestyle other than theirs, mm-hmm. like what is the purpose then of a book? Because we have books that are constantly on and off banless mm-hmm. in in all areas around the world. Yeah, because culture changes and shifts, mm-hmm. and those books get removed and put back on and removed and put back on. So, if that's the case. At what point do we look back at where we are today and say, whoa, probably shouldn't have banned those? Yeah. Well, a structuralist would say the it's not it's a well, it's about it's about power. It's about wanting to maintain at the root of it. Mm-hmm. It's about wanting to maintain power over the narrative, over this over the stories that are being told. That's what it feels like. Yes. Yeah. So when someone feels like they're losing their grip on that power. Mm-hmm. Because they view it as there's only limited amount of slices of pie, and so it's zero sum in their thinking. That if if we open up the the story to more people, our way of life, our grip on that power is then threatened, right? And and, and lessened. And yeah, and this is not just today. Historically, the threat of communism mm-hmm. that that was a fear, that was a threat to all nations at one point right 
but because of an individual, an author was identified as communist, now we ban his books. Mm-hmm. That's power. Yeah. That's a threat to that power. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I, I think you know, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, um, and I think that there is such a there is such a fear at the amongst the people who hold the levers of power of losing that power mm-hmm. that they are spinning narratives spinning fear that if you're that certain ideas and inclusion of certain people's stories to this to the national narrative that is being taught in in history curriculum that's being taught in literature that it will they they'll lose that power because quote people will hate this country yeah and I think that we need to do a better job of reframing what it means to love our country, what it means to be patriotic, Mm -hmm. because I think that ultimately that is like the main thing that is thrown right now. That's the main instrument at, of, of a certain political party to drive fear in the hearts of target audiences. The main reason why, uh, Youngkin won the Virginia governor governor's race because the the exit poll showed that the number one issue amongst voters was public education via the inclusion of critical race theory mm-hmm. and wanting someone at in the governorship that would li- that would pass laws restricting the restricting the teachings of critical race theory. Right. Youngkin ran and won on that platform, mm-hmm. so it's very much trying to control the narratives and because if everything if you believe everything is great why would you change it right so i think that it's about maintaining it's it's about maintaining power when you're talking about limiting stories and you're limiting curriculum you're limiting literature you're limiting because you're limiting stories you're limiting stories that might challenge your preconceived beliefs about the mythology right. around our origins mm-hmm. or around our founding mm-hmm. i want to uh, i just want to read something a quote from thomas Paine yeah that i think fits in here um he said when it can be said by any country in the world my poor are happy neither ignorance nor distress is to be found among them my jails are empty of prisoners my streets of beggars the aged are not in want the taxes are not oppressive the rational world is my friend because i am the friend of happiness when these things can be said, then may that country boast its constitution and its government. Independence is my happiness. The world is my country, and my religion is to do good. Mm. I think that what he, I think what Thomas Paine is saying there is that don't rest on your laurels. We're not great just because we're told we're great. Right. Continue to question. Continue to. Continue to want to fix the world around us. And I think that the best way to do that is through literature. Yeah. And when people try to limit literature, it's for a, it's for a reason. I think that reason is power. Yeah. I had one last thought. It's interesting that these challenges and bans, um, are pun intended a catch 22. Mm. So you have people in power who are threatened by the possibility of the people who give them power, being exposed to books that challenge their thoughts, then therefore might remove them from power. Yeah. So then there's that that limiting. Mm-hmm. I just, I was just thinking so about it's that. It's a nice we way talking. to put a bow on it. Yeah, that's what I do. So, <laughs> I think uh, I think we'll we'll end it there. Yeah. Um, I hope that you guys found this uh, this this episode um, informative mm-hmm. in some way. I uh, Jeff, thanks again for uh, 
for joining me on this uh, on this journey, and thanks for uh, bringing this great topic. So I think it's something that is very much. Uh, in our lives right now so hopefully um, we can continue and do some good with it yeah I, I have a challenge for 2022 and it's it's to read 30 books so that's it's i'm on this literature this literature hype right now <laughs> um and i just wanted to put one more thing out there if you if you want to engage with us about this conversation and you're enjoying it um, and you want to further or maybe bring up some points that maybe Jake and I haven't considered um, you can find us on instagram at say what you mean podcast yes please reach out so with that uh you've been listening to the republic i'm jake and i'm jeff and we'll see you next month bye kxrw would like to thank craft cannabis our exclusive cannabis sponsor for supporting our radio community craft cannabis for 21 and over now has two locations in vancouver the newest shop is on andreessen road off Patton parkway next to home depot at this location they offer top shelf tuesday waxy wednesday and stony sunday specials the Mill Plain location is in the Heights Shopping Center with Munchy Monday and Saturday specials. Ordering options include online, in-person, curbside, and express window touchless pickups to better serve you. Hours and more information available at craftcannabis.com. KXRW programming is made possible by the generous support by David Dansky with David's Toys, buyer and collector of old toy trains, including Lionel, Flyer, Ives, and Marks. He is interested in buying old transportation-related toys as well as toy trains from the late 1800s to the 1960s. David offers appraisals for fellow toy train lovers as well. David's Toys can be reached at 360-576-1602. That's 360-576-1602. Domestic violence is not okay, and it's on the rise, especially now during this time of COVID-19. Domestic violence comes in many forms, such as physical abuse, verbal, financial, sexual, stalking, and technological abuses. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship, we can help. The Vancouver Police Department and the YWCA are here for you. You are not alone, even in this time of crisis. You can call the YWCA at 360-695-0501 or call 911 for the police. You can also find helpful information about the Safe Choice Domestic Violence Program at ywcaclarkcounty.org and in Portland at ywcapdx.org.